I'm excited to get to share with you this morning. Um, again, my name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, today's part three of a four-part series uh, that we titled uh, The Vow. And uh, in week one, we looked at the vow of making a promise to make God our number one priority and how important that is for success in life, for spiritual success in life. We must make God our number one priority. Then last week, we looked at the, uh, the priority of promising to pursue, pursue our covenant partner. And that not only had uh, uh, talking about our spouse, our covenant partner, but also our covenant partner, if you're single, is Jesus Christ. So the importance of pursuing uh, those relationships. And if we allow those things, if we allow ourselves to become complacent in those things, it can bring uh, damage to those relationships. So we need to be intentional. And then today we're looking at the vow of partnership. And the promise that we're going to be looking at today is, I will make life all about we and not about me. And so, again, I just want to let you know that if you're here today and you're not married, this series is for you, too. We're going to be talking about a lot of relationship-type things. And uh, uh, as we know, relationships can be difficult, and relationships can be sometimes challenging, and, uh, but I believe that we can all get encouragement from the promises that we find in God's Word and being able to understand what His design is for not only marriage, but what His, his big overarching design is for relationships with others. Um, if you've heard me share before, you probably all know that I like, to, I like to tell a joke. And it's not necessarily because I like to hear you laugh, but it's because I need to laugh to so I can lighten up a little bit because I'm always a little bit on edge when I get up here on a Sunday morning. So, so here's the joke for the morning. I actually have a couple through the, through the sermon, but here, here's, the, here's the good one. When our lawnmower broke and wouldn't run, my wife kept hinting to me that I should get it fixed. Somehow I always had something else to take care of first, the truck, the car, email, fishing, always something more important to me. Finally, she thought of a clever way to make her point. When I arrived home one day, I found her seated in the tall grass, busily snipping away with a tiny pair of sewing scissors. I watched silently for a, for a time and then went into the house. I was gone a few minutes, and when I came out, I handed her a toothbrush and said, when you're finished cutting the grass, you might as well sweep the driveway. <laughs> the doctors say I will walk again, but I'll always have a limp. Yeah, I wouldn't try that, guys. So we've been looking at, uh, at Genesis 2.24 as kind of the key verse in this series. And that says, uh, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And I think I'll always remember Jim's uh, illustration of leaving and cleaving and weaving was a great illustration, I believe, is speaking of the marital relationship. And the Genesis account uh, speaks to the truth that marriage is and was God's design. And indeed, that the two becoming one flesh that it talks about is God's doing. He performs this union. In Mark 10, Verses 8 and 9, it says, The two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Uh, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So marriage exists for God's glory. And it's patterned, marriage is patterned after God's covenant relationship to his people. And because of that, we can, we can uh, need to remember the thought that the highest meaning and the most ultimate purpose of marriage is to put the covenant relationship of Christ and his people, the church, on display. It represents Christ's covenant relationship with uh, his people. 
So I don't know if, if we're, most of you here for the first session, in the first session of this study, Jim showed a picture of him and Gina. And it was a sweet picture. They had, Jim had his suit and tie on and Gina was all dressed up nice. And it was a, it was a date that, in which Jim proposed to Gina. And he told the romantic story of, 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 of that evening and at the beach and the proposal. And then, and then a year or so later, they were married. And so I wanted to show a picture of, of Karen and I because our story was a little bit different. So go ahead and show that picture. So this is, this, is, this is not a day. This is about three months after Karen and I were married. And I think, I think this conversation went something like this. Karen saying, why can't I drive the motorcycle? <laughs> and my response was something like, well, because it's mine, because it weighs 800 pounds, and because your feet don't touch the ground. And so... Uh, our marriage, to say that we brought baggage into our marriage is like saying that Kentucky Fried Chicken or Kentucky Fried has chicken. I mean, we had a lot of baggage that we brought into, into our relationship. Uh, Karen had, had come out of a long-term relationship. Karen had two children out of wedlock. I was a divorced father of two children. And we had a lot of baggage. We had a lot of issues that we brought into our marriage. We started, we got married, and... And the next morning, we had three children that we were trying to be parents to in a blended family. And so we had a lot of challenges. And, and um, I, I tell that story not to say that, that the way Jim and Gina did it was easier. They've had, they've had their same sort of struggles. But to say this, that, that um, I wouldn't have traded the things that my wife and I went through in our 36 years, almost 36 years of marriage now for anything. And God used that baggage, and God used the difficulties that we faced and the, the, the tough times that we faced to, to grow us both. I mean, I would not be, and, and I have a long way to go in, in who I am in, in God's eyes, but I would not be uh, anywhere close to where I am today if it wasn't for my wife and, and God putting her into my life. Two very young believers with two very headstrong personalities who both thought they were right most all of the time. And yet, at, at 36 years later, I can say I, I do not regret one minute of anything that we ever went through together because it's made us the people that we are today, and our marriage is, is wonderful. Again, I wouldn't trade it for the world. So let's look, at our, let's look at our outline today so we can see some of God's principles on the marriage covenant and on relationship covenant. Point one on your outline is marriage is a covenant partnership not a contract. Marriage is a covenant partnership, not a contract. A contract is based on mutual distrust. We do contracts because we don't trust the other party, and, and we believe that there has to be terms and conditions uh, that are necessary to keep the other person doing what they're supposed to do in a contract basis. So it's a, it's a legal agreement, so they'll honor their part. And so they don't trust us, we don't trust them, so we sign a contract. In our current litigious society, there's contracts galore. I mean, uh, just last evening, I was downloading an app to update a GPS, and I had to check the little box that said, I agree. Well, that was signing a contract, that I agree to terms and conditions to that contract. I mean, we sign tons of contracts, but again, contracts are based on mutual distrust. However, when I looked up, when I looked up the, the definition um, for partnership, 
for partnership, this is what I found it said. An agreement where parties, known as partners, agree to cooperate to advance their mutual interest. So that's what partnership is. And then if we look at the word, uh, the word covenant, that word covenant comes from a Hebrew word. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, but I'll, I'll take a shot at it because I'm pretty sure none of the rest of you do either. Uh, bereath. <laughs> Okay, and that, that, that Hebrew word bereath, which means a cutting or a binding agreement, a blood covenant. In the Old Testament marriage ceremony, the priest would actually cut the hands of the bride and the groom. They would join, you know how we hold hands, the, the bride and the groom hold hands today? Well, the bride and the groom would join those hands and the priest would tie garment around those hands to bind them together. It was a binding blood covenant. There were several other steps that we won't talk about this morning that, that contributed to that blood covenant. But that's what that, that's what that covenant means. So we see that when you put those two words together, that covenant partnership, it's based on mutual commitment. It's based on mutual trust. And it's based on a common vision. When we go to a wedding ceremony, we hear uh, vows that are exchanged. And what those vows are saying, at least every wedding I've ever performed or every wedding I've ever seen, those vows are saying, I'm all in. I'm 100%. I'm all in for richer, for poorer, for sickness and in health till death do us part. I'm all in. And could you imagine going to a wedding and the vows would say, well, you know, I'm in if we're healthy and the sickness thing I don't think I want to deal with. And I'm, I'm in if, if we're happy, but if we're unhappy, I don't think I want to deal with that. And, and that would be silly to think of. And yet we see in our society today, a lot of people have chosen to go that way. As soon as unhappiness creeps in or as soon as financial strain creeps in, that partnership dissolves because they're not all in. So we see that a covenant partnership between a husband and his wife or between a believer and his Lord is agreeing to hold at the center of their life the commitment to a high calling, a very high calling. And I believe we see that calling, uh, and I'll set this up a little bit, that calling we see after the, after the Last Supper, we shared communion this morning. Jesus instituted that at the Last Supper with his disciples the evening before he went to the cross. And after that was done, he talked about the, the new covenant in his blood, and then he issued a new commandment. And what he said is this, he said, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. A high calling. He called us to a very high calling. And so that is the standard. I believe that's the standard, the umbrella standard that, that goes over the top of all relationships and certainly the marital relationship. That is the standard. Whenever we see the Bible talking about relationship stuff, and we're going to look at Ephesians where it talks about God's design for marriage, the overshadowing of that is this, loving others as Christ has loved us, okay? Let's look at number two on your outline. Covenant partnership is summarized with mutual submission and godly leadership. It's hard to use the S word in church because submission has a bad rap, and sometimes rightly so. Um, no doubt there's been time and time again of spiritual authority or a husband's authority in the home being misused and abused. And submission has been called for in ungodly things, which is not correct. So submission has gotten kind of a bad rap. And yet, mutual submission, mutual submission and submission of, of a wife to her husband and godly leadership are part of God's plan and order for the marriage. 
God designed that. He put those things in order for it to function correctly. Let's look at the Ephesians passage, Ephesians 5, 21 through 25. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's how it starts. I'm not saying that, that whoever decided where the paragraphs go in the Bible were correct, but many of your Bibles starts a new paragraph at 22, which is the wife submit to your, uh, to your own husbands. I believe that the correct way is to go back to verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That trumps everything else below it. That's what sets the stage for everything else below it. So it goes on, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In, these, in those verses, you saw two things called for. The wives are called to make a decision, right? The wives are called to make a decision to submit to the spiritual authority of your husband. The husbands are called to die, to die to themselves, okay, and to love their wives as Christ loved them, to die to their wives. So those are the only two things that we're really called to in those things, but two very different things and two very important things in God's order for marriage. And so I believe I believe in those verses, what, what Paul is doing in those verses is he's describing for us what loving one another as Christ loves us looks like. He's saying this is what it looks like. Here's some demonstrations. Here's some things you can put your, put your arms around that it, that it looks like, okay? And so that submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ is the primary top starting point, okay? And, and what that's talking about there, that's talking about mutual submission. It's talking about mutually submitting to one another in the roles God has called us to do, okay? Uh, and, and that mutual submission is, is necessary for God's ordained order, uh, described in those following verses, to work according to his plan for marriage. That's the only way that order will work if we're mutually submitting one to another. And again, the wife is called to submit to her husband as unto the Lord, as the husband demonstrates godly leadership by loving his wife in the same way Christ loves the church. In Genesis chapter 5, it tells us when God created man, he made them in the likeness of God, male and female, he created them. The man and the woman created in different roles according to God's order. Adam was created first, not because he was more important, not because he was above Eve. And why did God create Adam first? Well, uh, this is my idea. Maybe it was so that he'd have a couple weeks to think about how he was going to answer all Eve's questions. <laughs> I don't know. That's just a wild guess. I don't really know the true answer to that. But uh, we have a quote, uh, a John Piper quote that says, Submission is the calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. God has gifted husbands and wives in different ways. We're to be mutually submissive one to another and we're to honor those gifts. Okay, that's how that works. So ladies, I will tell you that, that this submission that I'm talking about that's gotten a bad rap, it's not about agreeing with everything your husband thinks or says. It doesn't mean you leave your brain at the altar. Uh, it doesn't mean you don't try to influence your husband. And it certainly doesn't mean that you put your husband's will above the will of God. Okay, now here's another key thing to remember, ladies. It's not based on whether or not your husband deserves or merits being the spiritual head of the home or even if he's functioning in the role it's based on god's ordained order 
for the home. You are to submit to your husband as unto the Lord. And guys, if your wife is having a hard time submitting to your spiritual leadership, perhaps you should once again visit that verse 25 in Ephesians 5 that says that you're to die to yourself, that you're to keep your wife's needs above your own, that you're to lead her and love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So, and here's another, here's another admonition for you fellas. Whether or not you choose to walk in that position that you've been called to do, whether or not you choose to be the, the spiritual head of your home, one day you'll have to answer for that. You'll be held accountable. I mean, our, our sins have been, have been forgiven. We're, we're clean, but we will, be, we will be asked when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, I fully believe that Christ will ask me, Doug, what did you do with the spiritual headship of your home? Did you love your wife as Christ loved the church? So whether or not you're functioning in the role, guys, you're going to be held accountable for that one day. So you might as well step up and do what God's called you to do. So when we can love one another as Christ loves us and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, functioning in our God-ordained roles, then and only then can we move from a life that's all about me, all about selfishness, to a life that's all about we together in the marriage relationships and in our relationships with one another. I don't care what, if you're a single here today and you have relationships with people in your life, selfishness doesn't fly very far in any kind of relationship. We need to be able to lay that aside. I've listed some steps to God-honoring relationships. I think there's, what, six of them there. And uh, I think that if I had to describe uh, Karen and I's relationship over the past almost 36 years, I would say that... uh, kind of the first one and the last one would be the bookends of what I would say were probably in our lives, not that any are more important than the other, but, well, I will say one, the number one is more important than, than, than all the rest of them, but, but those are all important things, so seeking God and never giving up are very important things. There were daily decisions, there's still daily decisions in our relationship that I have to make and that Karen has to make. And seeking God, you remember the triangle that we talked about? That's the first one, seeking God. The triangle we talked about in the first, the first uh, of the series that showed a triangle with the, the husband on one side and the wife on the other side with arrows pointing up. As they are pursuing God, they're drawing closer to God and one another. So seeking God is paramount if we ever hope to have any spiritual success or any marital success or any relational success, we have to be moving closer and closer uh, to our Lord. So that's the first one, seeking God. Uh, from this day forward, um, sometimes the realities of life don't live up to the dreams that we had for the relationship. There's always circumstances. There's always things that, complications that, that, that come into our lives, okay, that, that make our relationships less than the dream we might have had they would have been. I mean, even this morning, okay, some true confession here this morning, although this is a silly story, uh, we planned before we went to bed last night. Karen says, are you going to want breakfast in the morning? I said, that'd be great. What time are you going to leave? I told her, blah, 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 blah. So the alarm went off. We got out of bed. And as, as she walked, in the, out, walked out into the kitchen to, to, to start preparing my breakfast, um, she discovered that our well-trained dog had left multiple gifts for her <laughs> all over the dining room area where he stays. And so... Um, so it kind of preempted that dreamy early morning. She was going to fix me breakfast, and it was going to be a casual morning. So, but anyway, it, and I'm sure she washed her hands before she made my breakfast. But, uh, 
Yeah, because we went together. We were getting along when we went to bed last night, so I'm sure she wasn't mad at me. So, so anyway, uh, so it, there's a lot in life, even sin, that can make us feel that we're in less than a, the, in, in a relationship that we we're dreaming about. And so we can't really look to the past a lot of times, uh, but we can look to the future. We can look to the future starting today, from this day forward. We can we can make sure we're living lives of forbearance and forgiveness with one another and, and forgiving as the Lord has forgiven us. And that's the only way that we will ever be able to move forward in Christ-honoring relationships. The third point there is stay pure. Um, this is something that we really need. We need to, regardless if you're married or not, your Christian walk, your, your pursuit of, of God, your you know, we're told to practice righteousness in the book of, of 1 John. We're told to practice righteousness, to practice being godly, okay? And, and there's nothing like compromising morally and doing things in, in a, whether you're single or in a marital relationship that destroys relationships. And, and so we need to work very hard to protect and guard ourselves against those kind of things. I mean, uh, choosing to limit your freedoms. We have great freedom in Christ, Paul, say, Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. He understood what great freedom he had in Christ, but he also understood that overstepping and utilizing some of those freedoms could damage his relationship with others and Christ. So we need to limit our, uh, our freedoms and, and to set up personal, personal guardrails, to set up personal guardrails to prevent ourselves from slipping into temptation. I mean, uh, and... Personal guardrails are that. They're personal. They're personal convictions. I made a decision years and years and years ago that, that I would never get in a vehicle with anybody other than my wife. I would not take another woman in my vehicle. Other than, I would not go out to lunch with another woman except my wife, unless there were multiple parties there. And it was just the decision that I made to keep myself away from anything that, that, might, that might be perceived from others as 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 I was being tempted. And so that's a relationship. Even to the ridiculous point, I can remember one time a very good friend of mine, there was a prayer meeting in Old Town Cottonwood and, and she didn't have a ride. And this might sound horrible, but I made her ride in the back of my truck. <laughs> because I, I said, you can walk or you can ride in the back of my truck. Uh, that might be to the point of ridiculousness, but it was, a, it, was a, it was a decision that I had made. And she was okay with it, actually. So messed her hair up a little bit, but she was okay with that. Um, <laughs> Uh, the other thing I will say about staying pure is that if you do not have an accountability partner of the same sex that will ask you the tough questions, you need to get one. Women, you need to have another woman in your life that you can talk to about things who will ask you the tough questions, about, especially about, about moral purity and where, what you're doing to, to pursue the Lord. Guys, you need the same thing. It's even harder for guys. We don't like to... We don't like to bear our souls with stuff like that, but you need somebody. If you really want to stay pure, you really need to do that. Fighting fair. Um, I've heard it said that a married man should forget his mistakes because there's no use in two people remembering the same thing. <laughs> Con conflict. Conflict is to be expected in relationships. We don't plan for conflict, but it just kind of happens. And so um, uh, the difference is, is if we can... If we can Understand to f how we can fight fair, it can mean the difference between a minor disagreement and, a, and some major damage to our re relationship. Healthy couples fight for resolution. Healthy people fight for resolution, not for victory. We're not fighting or discussing to win. We're fighting to resolve the issue, 
to clarify and resolve the issues. Proverbs 20, verse 3 says, It is to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. Man, so many times over the years was I a fool. I don't think I ever won an argument with my wife. And so uh, I finally got the idea that the idea was to, was to reconcile and, to, and to, to fix it, not to just to win the fight. The next one is to have fun. And I can understand that uh, when life gets full of pressures, whether they're financial or children or career or health issues, it doesn't matter what, you can name it, but sometimes we forget that we need to have fun with our spouse. We need to have fun together. And I believe that God's intention for us is that we enjoy his creation, that we have fun together, that we can laugh together, and, and we, we shouldn't allow the craziness and the busyness of life to crowd out having fun together. I think that's a mistake. And, and so, but sometimes we have, to, we have to be intentional. And sometimes it says, well, geez, it, if it's not spontaneous, then what fun is it? Well, we need to sometimes be intentional and plan having fun with your spouse. Plan that connectedness and, and work at laughing together and, and playing together and looking to each other to have the fulfillment in marriage that God intends for us. God intends for us to be fulfilled in our marriage and he wants us to pursue that. And then last but not least, never give up. Never, ever, ever sell God short in what he's able to do by his transforming grace in your life and in the life of your spouse and others. It doesn't matter what you're facing. Even if it's grounds for divorce, it also could be grounds for forgiveness. Now, I will, I will give you this disclaimer. I would never encourage anyone, man or woman, that's in an abusive marriage or relationship to remain there. I would not encourage that. So that's not what this is about. But I can tell you that that, that was, a, that was a, uh, something that, that Karen and I decided early in our marriage that we would not ever use the D word. It was not an option that we were going to we were going to trust and believe that God had a, a plan and a purpose, and even when times were tough, we were going to not give up. We were going to uh, keep pushing forward. Marriage, you've heard the, 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 the scripture that talks about iron sharpening iron. Well, I don't know of any other relationship more than a marriage where that's true. You know, So, uh, man, I will tell you that, that for, if you're like me, I don't know if you are, but if you're like me, it's hard for me to be corrected by my wife, even when she does it in a correct way. It, but, but you know what? If that correction wouldn't have been there over the past 36 years, I'd be a hot mess right now. I needed that. I needed her in my life. She's, was, my wife was exactly what I needed because of the kind of guy that I am. She's exactly what I needed to become the man of God that he desires me to be and to become the kind of husband that she deserves to have. Okay, so that iron sharpening iron. And again, uh, no matter what fault you find in your spouse, the truth is there's always, always, always ways that you need to grow and develop also. I had a friend once tell me this, which has been a very valuable lesson, okay? And it was very profound. He said, Doug, whenever I have an issue with my wife, I walk into the bedroom, I go to the mirror, and I look into the mirror, I look myself in the face and say, you ain't no catch either. <laughs> and you know what? It works. It works. And so that, that was profound. It was spiritually profound, I mean, to me, because it was like, hey, look at yourself. You, you've, you, you got part in this guy, you know, so, uh, so that's a very helpful thing. Uh, Romans chapter 5 says, because we know that suffering produces pe perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Don't give up. We have hope. We have the hope that God's transforming grace can invade our lives and change us to be the kind of people uh, that other people can love and that a spouse can love. So uh, remember that high call of loving others as Christ loves us. And the last point on your outline is, I promise to make life all about we and not me. If we're honest with ourselves, we realize that uh, there's very few things that we do that are absolutely selfless. There's very few things that we do that are absolutely selfless. I mean, we trade and we barter expecting something in return. Husbands, we, we take out the trash and load the dishwasher uh, to gain the freedom of watching a football game. Or, or we trade a little patience and understanding for sex. Sometimes we do that. And, and we, take care, we, we trade taking care of the kids for freedom to play a round of guilt-free golf. You know, we barter and we trade. And, and wives, you make up your own illustrations because I only get in trouble if I try to go there. So, but as we, consider, as we consider Christ's death on the cross, we see the demonstration of an absolutely selfless act when we look to Christ. He laid down his life for us. He took upon himself our sin, the sin that separates us from him. Okay, He made the way for us to be set back in right relationship with him through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And it wasn't because we deserve it. It wasn't because we could ever merit it. But it was simply and profoundly because he loves us. And the cross demonstrated to us what true, unconditional, selfless love looks like. And what does he ask of us? And all of that, what does he ask of us? All he asks us is to accept that free gift that free gift by grace. And with his spirit indwelling us, once we've accepted that gift, with his spirit indwelling us, we're called to love others as he has loved us. There's a quote I wanted to write down so I wouldn't forget it. The me to you to we process is not a one-time deal. It's daily, even moment by moment, to move towards the high call of loving others as Christ loves us. Uh, for you married folks, um, you didn't just say I do when you, when you went to the, the, the wedding chapel or wherever you got married. You didn't just say that, that, uh, that for one time that, hey, I'm all in, um, uh, and then forget about the rest of it for the rest of your marriage. That wasn't a one-time thing, okay? You need, and I'm talking to me too, I need to wake up every morning and recommit myself to my covenant partner. I need to do that every day. Because things come into relationships that can cause some issues. And so every day I need to make that decision to recommit myself uh, to my covenant partner and say I'm all in. And for singles, the same thing. In your covenant uh, commitment with Christ, that's not a one-time deal. It wasn't just that day that you were baptized here and we gave you that shirt that said I'm all in. And then you walked away and you never had to, you never had to think about that again. You have to decide every day whether you're going to lay down your life pick up your cross, and follow him. It's a daily decision. It's not a one-time decision. And so we see that, that selfishness certainly has no place in covenant relationships, both in our marriage and in our relationship with Christ. Uh, in order for our marriage to bring honor to Christ, it requires that daily commitment to pursue God and to pursue our spouse. And it's demonstrated by godly leadership, mutual submission, mutual servant and a common vision for our faith. 
placing the needs of our spouse above my own and loving them as Christ loves me. And again, I'm, I'm preaching to myself today. I certainly don't have all this pegged yet. And, and I know that as Karen, as, I, and as Karen and I both look to the Lord and pursue Him, we will continue to grow into our, in our relationship together. It will continue to get better and better. And it does indeed get better and better as we put those things into place in our lives, both in our marriage and in other relationships. So I'm going to end reading that John 13, 34 High call again, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. I've written a prayer here. Let's uh, read through that prayer, and if that's something you're comfortable praying, we're going to stand up in just a minute after you had a chance to look through it, and we'll read it together. Would you stand with me? Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for demonstrating what love is in the laying down of your life for me. You demonstrated humility in taking on human likeness and becoming obedient to death, death on the cross for me. Help me, my dear Savior, to demonstrate by my life that same love and humility as I love others as you love me. Continue to move me closer to wherever you want me to be by your transforming grace. Amen. Hey, if you have any, anything that you need prayer for today, whether it be your marriage or anything in your life, we have a prayer team over here to the right of the stage. They'd love to pray with you today. And uh, hey, if you're new today, if this is your first time you're here today, there's some Connect cards on, the front of the, on those chair backs in front of you. Would you fill that Connect card out and walk across the hall to our information center and give them that over there and they'll give you a, a gift and some information about our church. So hope to see you guys next week when we hear the last of the series of The Vow. Thank you.